The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for October 6th, 2021. Your old pal Justin Robert Young here joining you and got a treat. It is yet another combination of our political triad, Jen Briney of Congressional Dish, Andrew Heaton of the Political Orphanage, and your boy, Justin Robert Young. This one was really great to do, mostly because Heaton and I were in the same area. Uh, we were in the same room, literally. He was in Austin. Uh, and so I was like, all right, I can just talk to Heaton, or we could have two-thirds of a live political trifecta. So I wound up doing both. If you're on the Patreon, uh, then on on Sunday, you got to hear Heaton talk uh, uh, to me about Joe Manchin. We tack that on to the end of the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show. But we had you know, Jen pop in over Zoom. She was she was nice enough to make time before she went to go see uh, the the Raiders play the Chargers out in Los Angeles. But uh, we talk all about what happened in the Senate, the divide between corporate Democrats and progressive Democrats. I may or may not do some devil's advocacy for Kirsten Cinema. Uh, there's there, there's a lot to go through. I really love these conversations. I, I, I really can't tell you guys how much I love them, mostly because there are some real, I think, ideological differences between the three of us. But it feels like we can we can explore them in a way that I think is rare. So hopefully you guys like it. Heads up, there's a little bit of an audio kerfuffle. I tried something. <laughs> I, I I tried to make Jen a, a gigantic floating head, and I didn't give us headphones. So you're gonna hear a little bit of bleed through of Jen's audio. That's on me, but. I think it's eminently listenable and you you guys uh, will, will be okay with it. One real quick thing. This was recorded on Monday, which means it came before the crisis of the week really emerged, and that is the debt ceiling. Joe Biden finally entering the fray on this particular issue, saying that there is a meteor headed toward our economy and that when asked if he could guarantee that the debt ceiling will be raised, he said, no, ask Mitch McConnell. Which I guess, I guess makes Mitch McConnell the president, the most powerful man in America, Mitch McConnell. Bit curious. I mean, when I say Joe Biden's a senator as president, I didn't expect for him to like say stuff like that. Like that's a senator's quote. That's not 
leadership. That's not saying, uh, uh, obviously, there's a lot of differences and you guys know which side of the aisle I fall on, but we will make it through together. I strongly urge Mitch McConnell to relent, but we will make it through. I will not allow the United States of America to, to, to default on its credit on my watch. That would be... That would be the, the, the leadership. I, I mean, to say peril is about to befall us and there's nothing I can do about it. Oh, oh. Sometimes, I swear, man, th- those Biden folks, I, 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 I just imagine like a, a veep scene where they start going through ways that they could say something and they eventually uh, eventually land on the opposite of what they wanted to get out because it's what they can all agree on, like something like that. Yipes, stripes. So we'll talk more about the debt ceiling on Friday's episode, but understand that there's not going to be a lot of debt ceiling conversation in this podcast. So there's that. All right. Without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the political triad, Jen, Heats, and the Gerbs. Welcome, everybody, to yet another edition of the Political Triad. We we are all here together, so uh, we might uh, uh, chop up the events of uh, the last few weeks. And uh, uh, I, I could not be more excited because it feels like politics has a bit of a pulse for the first time since the election. And uh, uh, there are some consequences to it. So, of course, we, we, we staff up with Andrew Heaton of Hello. the Political Orphanage. Good to be back. And Jen Briney from Congressional Dish. How you doing, Jen? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. And this is fun because I'm in the same room with Heaton. Yeah. And we are looking at a gigantic floating head of, uh-huh. of, of Jen Briney. <laughs> so. It's like we're in a cool 1980s film and she's the computer. I don't know. I lost it immediately, but it is pretty cool technology. It, it, the it, studio's it, neat. It feels like what everybody just assumed every workday would be in 1980 at this stage, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like it is, it is just a big gigantic video teleconference situation. Yeah. So we are very, very excited to do it. So uh, uh, let's start here. The big news over the last week was uh, the Democrats uh, uh, trying to get through Alternatively, at the same time, but at often mutually exclusive, two bills through Congress that either are together or aren't together. It is Schrodinger's bills uh, that are either twinned or not twinned at any one moment. Uh, they, the progressives seem to win the battle. They they stave off a vote that would have pushed the more, uh, the more popular bill through. They were hoping that that bill, uh, and still do, hope that that bill will be the, the hostage that they need to get the weak-willed moderates to uh, vote for their multi-trillion dollar social spending bill. But now, on the other end of it, congratulations, you won the battle. The war might be that the social spending bill might be something far less than they wanted, shrinking ever uh, by the day from six trillion to now anywhere between two and one point five trillion. A measly one point five to two trillion. Uh, bare bones. Uh, uh, yeah. Santa's little this, helper. This is this is Greyhound. the fumes in the car yeah. that you're running on to get to the gas station level finance. Uh, so 
It makes me nuts that we're discussing these bills in terms of trillions because that's over 10 years. With every yes. other bill, we talk about the annual. So True. actually a hundred billion, like if you compare it to the defense spending, which is always $700 billion a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it does get cut down to 1.5 trillion, that's $150 billion a year. It's actually not that much. But the fact that we're reporting it in, over the 10 year term, I think that's confusing people. <laughs> That's so a great then, point. Then let's, then, let's, then let's start there then. Uh, two things have befuddled me about the process of, of pushing this forward because, number one, I don't think most people know what the hell these bills are. <laughs> I, I think people genuine, like generally have an idea of like hard infrastructure. Yeah. Oh, you mean the road? You mean the bridge? I, I think if you were to, to poll most Americans right now on what's been happening in terms of Political financing. It would be yeah. infrastructure bill, and AOC said tax the rich on her ass at the Met Gala ball. That's yes. that's the extent <laughs> yeah. of the average American's understanding of this this going on. Uh, uh, you know, my my general sense of like non political Twitter because political Twitter is of course into every little thing right. and every tweet is being analyzed and everything. But like people that I know that genuinely would probably describe themselves as politically, uh, uh, politically. Uh, 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 literate mostly knew last week about the fact that we avoided a government shutdown because at least that's a thing that happens every once in a while is the government shuts down because we can't agree with each other. But this, like every time that I read about this, this reconciliation bill, uh, uh, I feel like it's, it's you, you earn yourselves an Arby's gift certificate. If you describe it as very popular But I don't know if anybody knows what it is, let alone whether or not it is very popular. I think certainly if you poll like, hey, would you like money for having kids? Yes. Mm -hmm. Like a child tax credit is very popular. Yes. Universal pre-K or expanding Medicare to involve uh, dental and visual. That is something that is very popular. But I don't think that anybody, specifically the Democrats or the ones that want it the most, are doing a great job at explaining it. And to Bryony's point, I don't know why Bernie Sanders, of all people, is out there saying we need six trillion dollars. If if you from from your perspective, you're like, why even use that number? Use a smaller number. Yeah, because it's it, that's one of the frustrations. And like you've nailed it. One of the frustrations is we're talking about the top line number over 10 years instead of the details. And so, I mean, you know me, I like to read bills. And yeah. so I was like, all right, I want to know what's in this thing. But the problem with the reconciliation part is that we don't really have the bill. Like no. there is a text that you can bother to read, but that's the one that they're still negotiating what's going to be in it. One of the frustrating things is that the progressives are fighting really hard to have a reconciliation bill, but they have been very quiet about what specifically needs to be in it. So I don't know myself what's going to be in it because that's not certain. If you want to know what's in a bill, like if there's a text that's finished, the infrastructure one is the only one that we can really discuss any details about at this point, because that's a text that has passed the Senate. It's passed a hurdle, but there is no, there's no practical way to tell people what's in it because we know the process right now is they're cutting things out of it. Mm. So how are we supposed to have that conversation if it's all being done behind closed doors. Like there have been committees that are involved in it, but we're not really privy to what's happening 
there either because it's it went through committee but now in this like secretive process behind the closed doors that's where they're cutting this stuff out so it's like we're just not a part of that process no idea what it is and also yeah it i i feel like part of what the democrats are are hanging the fact that it's very popular on is the fact that it's called infrastructure so nobody it's not called the so it's not the great society it's not the new deal it's not a, a, a a a you know, a, a gigantic, uh, big, uh, poetic, like, and now finally America, uh, the American government will take care of its its least capable citizens. It's called infrastructure, which I feel like is both a blessing and a curse. Blessing in that a bill that seems to me to be loaded with only things that people complain about on Fox News uh, is now able to sail under the radar because it's called infrastructure and not called Tucker Carlson is going to have his eyes bulge out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, none of the people, none, none of it doesn't get the credit for being that either. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what's funny about the infrastructure bill is I tweeted out, I wanted to know, like, what did people want me to read in it? Yeah. So I said, like, what do you want to see in the infrastructure bill? And there was a lot of answers. Um, some of them not infrastructure at all. Like one person was like Medicare for all. And I'm like, what? Um, but when they, every single answer did include rail. Right. And so I think a lot of people that are like, yay, we're getting infrastructure thinking like we might have trains. Like we're excited about trains. Like, no, well, it's no, not the infrastructure. We're like details matter. So, so correct me if I'm right. There's two bills that we're talking about. Yes. There's there's the actual infrastructure bill, the American Jobs Plan. That uh, no, no, no. That's not that's not the no? American Jobs Plan. This is because there's American Families Plan, which is the bit we're discussing. That is the ambiguous one, right? Oh but but, but so either way, that's there, the there, reconciliation one. Uh, okay, yeah. But, but there 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 has been it's a transportation BBB and an inf- Biff. Yeah, there there has been. No, an inf- that's that's the bipartisan one. Is I swear to God, Biden's entire nomenclature for his legislative agenda is like trying to buy different versions of Windows. Like, it is like, like, like what's the difference between Windows NT and XP and Family Plus Plus Plus? I have no idea. Like, they're all like basically the same thing, and I think I'm intentionally being confused here. Well, okay, here this will help you. Biff is like the political world nickname for the infrastructure bill, and like, Biff and Back to the Future was a total douchebag. So when I think of like, what's the bad bill? It's the Biff. It's the infrastructure one and then the other one has everything else in it so right. whatever you call it whether it's, it's bbb the, the, or reconciliation is, everything is else popular and has been passed in the senate right Biff, like so Biff, so Biff is the bipartisan one so right so yeah. that's that's so uh, that one's that one's being bi- held up in the house where the progressives have taken it hostage in order to get the yeah. other stuff Biff yeah. Biff is if a uh, bipartisan infrastructure framework okay uh that has been passed by the senate uh, voted on by both Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer. Uh-huh. So like, this is about as bipartisan as we get in 2021. Right. Uh, it is now. Which sitting- also makes it a super Republican bill, by the way. <laughs> sure. Uh, so. uh, uh, and now the question is, can the house progressives hold it long enough right. to force the house moderates well, and and the and the, the moderates in the Senate mm-hmm. to vote for the BBB, which is the everything bill. Right. That's like every literally everything from Medicare to child Pre- tax pre-K, credit, kindergarten, universal pre-K, yeah. and possibly a pathway to citizenship, depending on whether or not the parliamentarian gives him another shot at it. Can, can I ask the dumbest question in the world? Yes. You, you all will understand better than I can. Yeah. I'm like I'm I'm a I I tend to side with the moderates. I tend to to view myself as fiscally conservative. I like the idea of pre-K universal uh, child care. I think that that's a good thing. I would probably vote in favor of that. 
why why do we want to make all of these things one gigantic basket rather than building actual coalitions uh, around individual issues and getting them past piecemeal? I was making the same exact argument myself on a podcast the other day. Okay. I think it's ridiculous that we're doing these giant packages because I do think there's plenty of things at this point that we could agree on. Yeah. And if the Republicans want to sh- shut down these individual ideas, make them do it, make them say it, right. make them show who they are. But that's not the strategy that they've chosen. You think here, it would be a better strategy than making uh, Joe Manchin and Cinema the kingmakers that all things are relying upon by backing them into a quarter? Right. I mean, I think so. The the reason why is from the Democrats' perspective, they don't believe they can. And so, like your your argument, notwithstanding. Jen, that like, sure, make them every step of the way, make them shoot down this, make them shoot down each and every one of them. They believe that this is a once in a a decade strike while the iron's hot situation. Mm. They don't have that much time. They need to get it through and it needs to get through now. This was a moment in time that opened up only when Donald Trump actively suppressed Republican vote for the uh, election in on January 5th uh, uh, that got two Democratic senators from Georgia that gave them the 50-50 situation. And so now they did not expect it to be that. It now is in existence. It might only effectively be in existence for another three months. They ain't got time for everything. They got to push mm, it through okay. right now. That, that would be the, the political, the, the real politic argument for it. Okay. Which is why we need new leadership. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is. I, I also, I guess, I gotta say, like, I'm not a big fan of legislating through flailing. Like the the impulse of like, we gotta do something now, do it. Yeah. I do not think that's a good way to to write legislation. Well, even that, like Justin's political calculus, his timeline is absolutely right. They feel like they have to do it by the end of this year, but we elect them to govern for two years. But what they've decided to do is they govern, they govern for a year and then they campaign for a year. Right. And it's like, that's not what we hired them to do. So it's just this whole political Washington think has gotten so disconnected from what we think could and should be happening. I would say that even in a healthier situation, you would still have natural pressures of do I want to vote for this while opponents either in my own party or on the opposite side are actively pouring cash into making attack ads about me. Mm. And my answer would be yes. Would I want to run on giving every parent like thousands of dollars? Yes, I would. Would I want to run after a pandemic of being like, hey, parents, send your kids to pre-K for school. Now you have a few hours to yourself after having them nonstop for a couple of years. Like, yes, let me run on all of this. So it's like if you actually believe in what you're doing, that could help your campaigns. If you're helping people, that can help you win elections. They don't see it like that. And I just find that weird. Well, they're worried about inflation. They're worried about the economy. <laughs> they're worried about, I mean, look. All right, I, you, you, you've you lured me in. I am worried about those things too. Like, I, I think that's legitimate. Like, like I will probably get into Joe yeah. Manchin here in a minute. Um, one of the things that I liked about his letter to Chuck Schumer was he was like, we should wait until COVID spending, uh, spending has happened before we do additional federal spending. We should ease back on quantitative easing because he's concerned about uh, inflation and there have been indications of inflation. And that tends to impact people at the bottom of the economic pyramid more than anybody else. And so if you have inflation, it's going to be regressive and hurt the poor. Like that's a legitimate concern. Absolutely. And that's why, like, what's frustrating to me is that the solutions to some of the stuff are sitting right in front of us. So, like, one of the examples I have is when it comes to, like, Medicare, expand, expanding that for 
you know, the part of your body that do matter, your teeth, your eyes, like we should have that included as healthcare. All we really have to do to make the budget work. And like, obviously I don't have the exact numbers, but we could let Medicare negotiate drug prices with these private companies and we can make that even out. Like there are ways for us to make this work fiscally, but it's going to require these people in Congress being willing to do things that industry is not thrilled about. And that seems to be the line that they still are not willing to cross. The infrastructure bill is evidence of that. And it's like, we can do a lot of these things fiscally responsibly in a way that taxpayers like Andrew and I, maybe Justin would be perfectly happy with he that makes sense taxes. financially. Oh yeah. But, yeah. He's, he's been evading it for at least six years. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't even yeah. my real name. <laughs> but the insurance industry, they don't want to do stuff like that. No. You know, like, the, and so that's really the problem. The solutions are there. They're actually quite obvious, but until we have politicians that have the political courage and aren't so excited about collecting corporate cash, that's, I think, the the biggest problem. Like, they're not chasing our votes. They're chasing the cash. To, to jump, they think to jump they on they need that, it to get our votes. I, like, um, you know, I, I, I was impressed with some of the things that Manchin was putting in an attempt to make it fiscally paid for. Um, one of the things that actually really bugs me when we get into this, because I, I, I like the idea of things being paid and I'm worried about the debt as well. Um, I'm really relied, I'm worried about the over-reliance on corporate tax rates that are, are used as a stopgap measure. The reason I say that is I, like, I am of the opinion that corporate tax rates are, are basically nonsense that cynics and economic illiterates use to pay for things that they don't want to pay for. Um, the, the idea with corporate tax rates that's given to the public and the public is built with is, uh, hey, corporations are bad. Do you like corporations? Of course you don't like corporations. Let's raise their tax rate to 30%. What corporations do, because it's a it's a, an expense just like anything else, is they pass it on to the consumer or they cut it out of the labor supply. So it ends up being eaten by the people at the bottom. Like it, it's a way of basically outsourcing taxes to corporations to take from poor people and give back to the government. And I, I'm it bothers me that that becomes an increasing reliance, particularly with Democrats, rather than doing what they ought to do, which is, uh, as you say, Jen, like, like have the courage to go after rich people and raise higher marginal tax rates on them where it would be more direct or to end, uh, end loopholes uh, or to uh, adjust capital gains tax. All of those things would be a more direct way to pay for things rather than a corporate tax rate, which is just a smokescreen to tax everybody else. I only think that's true, though, is if it, it, like I don't want to be a Walmart Mart customer and yet they have these giant trucks that go all over our highways and our roads and create giant potholes. And like I do feel like these companies should be paying a cut and not all of us are their customers. So the idea that like we're the ones that get punished, like I don't get punished when Walmart has to pay right, for some but, of the infrastructure mind, no, that they're tearing up. But I, I think... Forgive me if I if I if I miss said this. I think the impression people get is that when we do corporate tax rates, there's some guy at Walmart, the CEO, going, "Damn it, I I have to take 15 percent of my income and give it to the government." That is absolutely what does not happen. What happens is they just raise the prices on everything. It doesn't hurt the company in any way. The company doesn't pay any more. It just increases the amount of money that people are paying on the consumer level. So it's not as if okay. they're paying their fair share. It's just the consumers that are now doing it for them, or alternately, they cut hours for their employees. And, and this or is, they have less money to pass out to shareholders. That's an option. They don't do that too. though. It, like all, all of the data I've seen is yeah, that the, but, but they're but they're valuable. <laughs> so right. they would rather they when, would when rather, you ask the shareholders how to allocate that money, they don't. They never cut it from shareholders. It's just it's it's you can't legislate um, intention. You can only legislate incentive. 
But is it necessarily unfair that the customers of these companies pay for the damage that the companies do? Like when I fill up my gas tank, I would hope that some of that money is going to mitigating the damage that the fossil fuel companies sure, do. I sure, would hope but, but that's, but that's that a different some thing of the money you're, would mitigate the, the trucks you, on the road. A, and when you do a gas tax, you're right. And that has an effect on gas consumption when you increase uh, gas prices. No, when I'm you, not saying gas tax. Okay. I'm no, saying no. that like when I pay for their product, right. yeah. so, 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 so if, if you do corporate tax rates yeah. on fossil fuel, you're just doing a gas tax. You're just, you're just calling it something else, but they're going to push those do If you raised a 5% rate on fossil fuel companies or, or on, on oil companies, that is really no different than doing a 5% gas tax because it's just going to go straight back to the people buying the gas. So you're not hurting the company, you're hurting the consumer. Now, it'll have the effect in this instance of probably lowering the amount of gas consumption, but it's not coming out of the pockets of the oil company. See, that's, it doesn't really matter to me as long. So, so here's the problem. I'm fine with the consumers having to pay for the damage of the products that they are buying because there is damage done in you know, schlepping Walmart, schlepping their stuff all over the, the world that we have to pay for the shipping containers and the boats and the trucks and all the stuff. I think the consumers should pay for that. And right now their prices are so crazy low that they probably should be charged be, be more. So I'm actually not upset about this, that. This is where I go, I go progressive. I would rather, I would rather rich people pay that than poor people. And I think those taxes wind up being regressive when you're when you're putting it on the consumer because they're going to pay more of their income in that in terms of buying staples and in terms of buying groceries and things like that. So I, I am less inclined to to be punitive in that capacity. Well, and here's here's the other thing is Joe Biden has made a a very, very, very big point about the idea that nothing should tax anyone who is making under a family that is making under $400,000. That's been his mm -hmm. line in the sand. It's why he was against a, uh, a, a road use tax or whatever during that infrastructure bill negotiation. And so the, the question then becomes, and this is really, you know, on the other side of, uh, of, of justifying the price tag uh, of, of the BBB bill, Bernie Sanders, who has been the chief cheerleader for it, has been out and said, look, all this is fully paid for. And it's fully paid for when we raise the corporate tax rate. That is how yes, they it are. Sounds like Sanders. Corporations are evil. Let's punish them. We can legislate intent. And this is this is the big uh, uh, line in the sand now, because Kirsten Cinema, who has now become a chief element of the the uh, resistance to this bill, uh, to the point where she was followed in by by uh, uh, protesters into the women's bathroom mm. uh, uh, over over the weekend. Uh, she has said there will be no raise in the corporate tax rate, and so there are there are major you know philosophical differences in in this party. And while Jen, I do think that it's a noble idea that yes, indeed, legislators should legislate throughout the entirety of their term. <laughs> that the reality is that. As soon as we cross the year mark, I mean, we're already seeing uh, a midterm level uh, negative ads go out targeting uh, incumbents that are vulnerable uh, uh, right now on either on, on all sides of this bill, by the way, of, of people that are you should vote for it or you should vote against it. This is only going to get louder and the situation will only become more perilous for the, the Democrats and the funny thing that they the situation that they face themselves in is that there's a legit question of whether or not the right move is to do thing or not do thing. It's not even like they're all like, hey, let's go and uh, and, and, and push this through. Let's run on it. It's the best thing, the best shot we have. There seems to be an element of of, of the the Democratic Congress that says, no, the best thing that we can do is pass 
roads thing we can explain roads bridges first in a generation spending on these things uh and then let the rest of it fall by the wayside and i think there's a chance because enough people are trying to link the two that we get nothing at all i actually think that's a pretty likely ending to all of this is that it all fails that would be a disaster like like that Mm -hmm. that would be that would be an absolute like total uh, 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 just apocalypse for the, the capital A adult in the room, the guy who knows how to get things through Congress. This is why you elected Joe Biden. If he can't get anything through, like that is, I, I don't think that that's just, A, I think it's unlikely. B, I think that's not just a problem now. That is a par- possibly party splitting decision. Like if, yeah. if, 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 if that, if it comes down to that and Joe Manchin and Bernie Sanders are that far apart that they can't even settle on 1.5 trillion or 2 trillion in social spending, they, they, you know, it, it, the difference between two and, and three trillion uh, trillion is that much. It's so philosophical that they're willing to say no, nothing, not anything at all. Wow. That, that, that would be, uh, I, I think that, that that fundamentally reshapes the party. Like, like, where do you go forward from there? Well, maybe that's a good thing at this point, because I'm looking at like, what if nothing happens? Like, what if we have the most fatalistic view of like, this yeah. is all going to hell? I do see such a split in the Democratic Party. I mean, Cinema and I don't know what Kristen Cinema wants. First of all, no one does. She won't tell anyone. But the Joe that's, Manchin's that's, like that's a misnomer. Look, she, she's, she's I don't know what she wants. I don't know the details. What is she fighting nobody for? Nobody knows the details. Love. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's that, 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 that's such a shell game, though, because like she's just at, saying no. At, well, no, we don't know what these negotiations are. Number one, like there there is an element of this that is being played out behind the scenes, and then there's an element of this that's being played out in the public. Kirsten Cinema, at the very least, has been very very defensive about saying, "Hey, I'm respecting this process by keeping my negotiations." behind the scenes. Cause I feel like that's the most effective place to do it. Now she is being, she says, according to her public releases that like, she is now being punished for that by not negotiating in the press, which I don't think anybody would agree moves things along faster than they would. No, I don't know. I, I kind of disagree with that. I like that Joe Manchin is at least giving us some ideas of what he wants. We know he wants the money to come down. Like we know some details of what Manchin is going for. He went in the back of his yacht and was talking to those kayakers. <laughs> like he was actually talking some details with constituents where Kristen Cinema, anytime someone asks her a question, she has some stupid little quip and runs away from them. So I don't like her whole like, so, oh, so- well, I'm keeping it all a secret for you. Like, but- no, okay. I don't buy so, it. So then, uh, Heaton, yeah. you, you, you be the tiebreaker. I think that that uh, I will say that if I were having a big uh, a consequential, if we were all having a big consequential uh, uh, agreement about something that really, really mattered to us, and there were a lot of people that really cared about it, uh, let's say our collective whatever thousands of social media imprint and download people, they're all very interested in what we're doing. I'm on one side. Brian on the other side. I would hope that we'd be able to keep everything on a group text thread instead of going out on Twitter and being like the, the recalcitrant Justin R. Young is uh, uh, holding back this uh, uh, thing. Where do you stand? Do, do you think that, that this makes for better or worse 
uh, uh, policy and does cinema have an obligation to talk out in public? Uh, so I have not been following cinema nearly as much as I've been following Mansion. So I, I don't know all of the details and I, I, I can't corroborate um, uh, Bryony's assessment. I, I just I, I trust that you're right that she's being coy and not saying anything. Um, you're absolutely right that, that Manchin has made his position on this pretty clear. He, he sent a memorandum that was signed by uh, Chuck Schumer to the president stating exactly what he wanted. We know what he wants. Um, and we know why. Uh, I don't know with Kristen Cinema. I would say in general, I think that these things um, need to be probably banged out more behind closed doors and then brought to the public when we start voting on it rather than seeing the sausage made, because I think it becomes very difficult when it's completely out there and every single thing is subject to media scrutiny. Um, so I see the, the, the need for there being a little bit of playing cards close to the chest. What I'll say about Mansion and Cinema is um, I, I, I kind of like them. Uh, I, I think that um, the stuff in the bill is good stuff. Um, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, pre-K, universal pre-K, uh, increasing healthcare. These are all nice things. But because ultimately we do have a limited amount of resources, we have to figure out how we can adjudicate them and how we can do them without tipping over the apple cart. And we need at least a couple of people worried about that. And I don't see very many people on either side of the aisle doing that. So I'm, I'm glad that they're at least there thinking about the ultimate amount of debt we can sustain and what happens if inflation occurs. I guess just the policy wonk in me, the idea that like we are now kind of going into their bubble and being like, yeah, some of this should be behind closed doors. Like, no, it all should be done in the committee. These are debates oh, that should oh, be oh, done oh, in yes. a committee with votes. And like this whole process no, no, is no, no. wrong. All right, all right. So, so we are in total agreement that, yes, <laughs> these things and, and I think we're all in agreement. They should not be gigantic omnibuses where yeah. everybody's got to vote on a billion different things right. that are oftentimes conflicting. We should be able to bring these things one by one. They should be gauged based on public opinion and whether or not uh, uh, your political ideology says that this is a good solution for this problem. And yes, the people's business should be done in public. But we don't live in that world. We live in this dystopic world Actually, where, it, where in there, there are all these catch-all things. And if that's the way that we live in, then what is the difference? Cause we're not having these arguments in committee. We're having these arguments on Twitter and that's what, yeah. people, that's what people are, are that's what cinema saying. No, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to play the every Joe Manchin and, and Bernie Sanders have been going back and forth on television for the last three weeks, uh, like itchy and scratchy hitting each other on the head with, uh, with hammers. And, and I don't know if that makes this process better. I what? think it does. I think it does. Cause the difference to me is public or not in public. And we're talking about what they're doing with our money in a way that's going to help us. So the fact that Bernie and Manchin are having this debate in public, yeah, it should but be in know, a committee, but I'll know. take it in the media. We know what it is. She wants probably somewhere between one and 1.5 trillion and she doesn't want to raise the corporate tax rate. It's not like we don't know what the, you, what the you, issue is. You know is. What, what I would love to see from cinema um, would be her saying what she thinks the bright line is for unsustainable debt and why we can't hit that. Uh, like the CBO regularly produces, uh, the CBO and CRS regularly produce like, this is the level of sustainable debt. We have surpassed that. We know that there's going to be a reckoning. We just don't know when. Uh, what would be helpful, I think, is her saying, right, I am very much afraid if we hit this trillion mark, we're going to be in trouble. So I cannot go beyond that point. If it's just a, a nebulous feeling of like, I wish to be vaguely physically conservative, I would be more bothered by that. I would rather her have like uh, uh, bright lines that could be adjusted and worked around. Like Manchin's well, and, done. And you, you pointed out what she doesn't want to do. She doesn't want to raise the corporate tax rate. So what do you want to do? 
Do you want to raise a wealth tax? What do you think needs to be in this bill? Are you actually fighting for nothing? Like I get that she's saying no to the idea of putting out there, but until she comes out and says, this is what I want, then I feel like she's not telling us what she wants. So, yeah. So even all right. So, so let me, let me ask you this then hypothetical scenario. She is being as transparent as humanly possible behind the scenes. She has uh, based on all available reporting been in at the white house more than any other Senator that, that is, is in the middle of this situation. So let's say she is sharing all of her, all of her, you know, details there, but not saying it out in public. The, the issue is still a lack of transparency for her as a public figure to not be sharing her opinions. Yeah. Okay. As a public figure with power. You know, I that's why I feel like she has a responsibility. Although, can we have this? This is a slightly more fun conversation about Kirsten Cinema. Boy, did the identity politics boomerang uh, come back on her real fast. Because when she first got in, it was super glowing. Oh, first bisexual senator. Oh, look. And, and she does uh, uh, triathlons. Like, like what, what, a, what a cool lady she is. And then Saturday Night Live last Saturday. It's her saying, as a bi- as a bisexual uh, uh, triathlete, I know what every American wants. Or it's like now, <laughs> now she's not a special identity politics model. Yes, Queen, please wear those cool dresses on the on, on the floor of the Senate. Now it's look at this out of touch monster who has no idea what the average American wants. She's earned it. <laughs> I, I think this also belies a, uh, a a demarcation in a lot of the discussion that we have in politics as a people. Um, I, I find that broadly speaking, people tend to understand problems in politics as either being caused by villains or being caused by systems. I'd say everybody on this call, I think, is a systems thinker where we're looking at like, like Jen and I, I think, pretty much have the same disdain for the incompetency and uh, just bloated ineffectiveness of our, our legislative state. And this caused by a bunch of different um, factors in the systems. But I find that like um, during election years, most people are thinking in terms of villains and, yeah. and people that are sort of permanent children uh, always just assume all, all problems in life come from villains. And if only we could knock out the villains like whack-a-mole, everything would be great. And like, no, there's these things are complicated. There's there's incentive structures in place. There's electoral structures in place. There are, there are reasons that these things are happening. We've got to deal with the underlying causes of them. Otherwise, you can pump in all the good people you want to a bad system. You're still going to get bad stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, one one last cinema note. Uh if 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 you don't like her, Briny, you you better get used to it because she is never never losing that seat in Arizona. Have, have, you, have, you, have you seen the, the the favorability ratings for her in Arizona? Oh, I never look at polls. No. Uh, yeah, she is only underwater with Republicans by six percent. Like she is, she is, yeah. uh, 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 she has slotted herself right into like much in the same way that eventually the doctor uh, became played by a woman in BBC's Doctor Who. She has regenerated McCain as now a, you know, now she's a bisexual wine drinking triathlete. But if she's going to try and do that as a Democrat, she's going to get primaried. That's what could, like if she wants to leave the party and be an independent, I think you're right. But she's going to have a real tough time as a Democrat. uh, If I were her, awesome. If that's the deal, yeah. the deal is, oh, I have I have broad support. I crush with independence. I am less popular within my own party. And once every six years, I have to face a more progressive person 
running against me as I'm, an incumbent? I'm with Briny on this. I think I think that Jen is right. Like the the, the like like uh, Arizona is not a like top five open primary state or anything like that, is it? It's just first past the polls as per usual. Like if if Kristen Cinema were in Alaska, yes. Because if she were in Alaska, she would be in the automatic top four, which means she can piss off her party even if she lost the nomination. But as it is right now, like that's a legitimate thing. Like the thing that senators are afraid of is getting primaried. It's not losing sure. a general election. Sure, but she gets to do what every incumbent senator who faces a decent primary gets to do. Vote for this wacko and you're going to lose the seat. If you're a Democrat, if you really, really care about keeping this seat, because right now, uh, uh, sorry, fast forward to two years from now uh, when this will definitely be true and not the thing that every senator says at all times. This is the most important year that we could ever have in the Senate. Right. Of course, Look at yeah. all the important things we're voting. Most on important vote of our not, lifetime. We're voting on whether or not to blow up the world and the, and the Republicans are going to blow up the world tomorrow if we don't have the right votes in the Senate. So sure, you can vote for this person that's to the left of me, but they're going to get run over by the Republican because this is still a very I, purple I state. Don't, I don't have very much faith in the extremists of partisan politics, and those are ultimately the people dictating primary elections. I don't think that the the primary voter with 15 different bumper stickers on the back of their car thinks that pragmatically. I, I, if, I think if, they think in terms of purity and energy and philosophy. People, this is why Gavin Newsom uh, uh, just won in, in, in the recall election, where it was like, it's too important for us to give uh, uh, anybody else uh, 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 a, a trial one year run in the governor's office before they are almost assuredly thrown out right now. It's so important that we hold on to this seat. If I'm Kirsten Cinema, I take that deal 99 out of 100 times. Give me a, a spicy primary opponent who's to the left of me once every six years and let me run on saying the the this the fate of the senate is is going to be determined on whether or not you believe that that person the, is that much more uh, capable the than one I thing am. that she well will let's have. also keep in mind that she's not up for re-election for three more years yeah. most normies right now don't care about this yeah. at all it's just nerds like us that are yeah. paying close and, attention and if, if you can, if you can bet forgotten. on americans having a short attention span in politics do it you're, you're not <laughs> yeah. gonna lose like that's like typically like like usually big spinning happens at the very beginning of a presidential administration partly because they've got more clout then but also they know everybody will forget by the end of yeah. it. yeah this won't even be a factor Friends, let's go ahead and take a real quick time out to remind everybody that the only reason why this podcast exists at all is because of the fine folks at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. It's where you can go. It's where you can support the show. It's where you, you too, can make sure that uh, this train keeps a rolling. Uh, got a little bit of travel coming up. Little bit of travel, heading on up to old Virginia, heading on up to DC because uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go mix and mingle just a little bit in DC. Try to say hi to some of the the the, the, the capital pals that I have. Renew the, whatever membership into uh, the 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 journo cabal of DC. Uh, uh, but also to go see this McAuliffe, um, young kin result in, in Virginia. Gonna be a really fun time. Very excited about it. 
Uh, and the only way that you guys can help make it happen is by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Now, I'm not just looking for your cash here, folks. I'm ready to earn my money. In fact, folks who uh, were were on the $3 club on, on Sunday, or sorry, on Monday morning, actually, it goes up technically Sunday night. Y'all went ahead and got uh, a bonus little Heaton interview on there, along with that bonus episode. That was a bonus on a bonus. You guys get the Thursday late edition, and considering we are in a situation with this debt ceiling, there's gonna be news that'll be broken on that Thursday podcast. You're gonna, you guys are gonna be the first people to get the the latest on what's happening from the horse's mouth, and my name is the horse. So. Uh, uh, please head on over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Make sure that you sign up at the $3 level to get those two bonus podcasts. Use the custom RSS feed to put it right into the podcatcher of your choice. Never have to remember your Patreon password again. So simple. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. All right. Well, uh, so so where where do we go from here then? Because uh, uh, obviously Biden's going to need to get something done congressionally, you know, to to run on both for everybody who's running in the midterms and then for himself going forward. Uh, but I don't know. How much do we buy into the idea that like the this is very much in 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 the in the political media space that like Biden needs a win. I, I think Biden I think the, needs a thing that is is going right instead of going wrong because yeah. there's there's a, a lot of things that have gone wrong. Do we buy this? No, I, I don't. I, this is I think this is going to be what the next election's about. The next election's going to be the insurrection versus Afghanistan. Those are going to be the two stories that are being said. Democrats are going to be focusing on the events of January sixth. Uh, or excuse, yeah, yeah, and Republicans will be focusing on the withdrawal from Afghanistan. So I, I don't think that this is going to be a massive hinge point for for people getting elected. I, I think that given that the average American is not paying attention to this bill, it is much more likely that the the campaign messaging that that happens a couple of years from now, or that, that happens here shortly, uh, will will deal with those larger topics in the public consciousness. I think it just depends on if they get anything done. I actually don't think the Democrats want to run on January 6th. I think they kind of know that we don't give a damn. Um, I think they really do want to have. But the thing is, like, I think that the strategy that they want this reconciliation bill, at least the progressives do, so that they can run on like, hey, you know, these checks you're getting every month, like we did that. Like, you know how you're able to get childcare? Like we did that. Like they do, there's a, here's the thing, like we said before, there's two factions now and they're very separate and getting more separate in the Democratic Party. So if you're talking about like, what do the progressives want to run on and what do the corporate Democrats want to run on? Like those are different, those are different conversations. Those are different they're different parties, really. I mean, in my head, the Republicans have just gone completely off the reservation. They're 100% corporate and kind of crazy at this point. Then we have what used to be Republicans, which are corporate Democrats. And then we have progressives who seem to be this small faction working for workers. But that small faction, like they want this reconciliation bill. I don't think it's bullshit for them. I think they really, really want it. It's just a matter of can that small group overcome the resistance of 
everybody else in Congress. It's kind of a David and Goliath situation. And if they get that, then I think the conversation next year becomes very different from what it would be if they were running right now, in which case I think Andrew would be right. If they get nothing, then it has to be January 6th because it's all they got. So, so I think we just have to see. M- minus the disdain and lionization of the parties that, that Jen just mentioned, I agree with her assessment of the taxonomy of the political party system. Like the Republic, like I'm ethnically Republican, but they've been nuts for a long time. So I, <laughs> I, I had to leave. So like, like I'm an independent, but I would, I would side with like, like I would be like a Rocky Mountain Democrat at this point, as would a number of other like former recovering Republicans, right? Like, I think that's actually a pretty spot on analysis. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess the, the question then becomes, if the the mainstream of the Republican Party, which congressionally right now, I, I don't know exactly how super far populist it's gone when Mitch McConnell is still the guy pulling the strings mm. like he's still the guy counting the votes. So really, it's like in many ways, the big boy never left like like the, the Republicans are kind of still the same congressional Republicans that they have been before, as long as he's the one who really holds the high card. The question then becomes well, where is the Democratic Party? And I think that right now you are seeing a lot of, you know, now that the rubber's meeting the road on what exactly are we going to do with this power? You are seeing that there is a lot of very different, uh, uh, there's a lot of different opinions. Here's something that happened uh, just this week. The Republicans for the first time excluded the United States Chamber of Commerce from all strategic, uh, uh, strategic stuff because- the Chamber of Commerce has become more of a Democratic leading yeah. organization no, and, and, and that and, and the Republicans like drew a line in the sand on it this week. So it's like yeah. the, the, the idea of the party of big business being the Democrats is going to be something that I think is more of a, a more of a reality. You, you've got two things going on there. You've got I mean, we've, we've talked about uh, Musa Al-Garbi a couple of times, but I agree with his general thesis that the, the big shift over the last 20 years has been. Uh, the Republicans going from the party that owns factories and the Democrats being the labor party to now the Republican is the dive bar party and the Democrats are the managerial class. I think that's that's pretty good analysis. To add to that, the, the Republicans are now embracing uh, what George Will calls anti-capitalism republicanism. So that is to say, Republicans that go, uh, I like I love capitalism. I just think it has to be oriented with the government. And it, it like we need to have the, the common good served by public like Marco Rubio's in this camp of of coming up with sort of oh. uh, collective ends to capitalism and that kind of thing. You're going to see more of that paired Mar- Mar- Marco, with Marco's in many camps. It really depends. <laughs> it, uh, Marco, Marco is camp flexible. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. He's camp curious. Uh, what I'm uh, seeing from the Republicans in general is that they're just anti-government. I feel like they're in there to tear it down. And that's my biggest problem with them. Like, I don't think there's much of an ideology there anymore. I think that the people that had an ideology are gone and now it's yeah. just their destruction artists. I agree. I think you've got like maybe three people in the Senate that are still Republicans that have survived. Like I'll give credit to like Ben Sass and, and Mike Lee. I think that they have an ideological core, but uh, for the most of it, like the Trump years really pulled the, um, the, the veil off on a lot of these guys that, you know, turned out to just not really have an ideological core and are more about now um, hero worship for Donald Trump. And a lot of it is this sort of reactionary oppositional form of governing of what do the Democrats do? Well, we hate them. So let's do the opposite of it as opposed to setting their own agenda based on some sort of ideological core. I mean, like they had an ideological core when it came to immigration and, and the Democrats were, were saying no to it. I, I, I think that even you can say that you are repulsed by the, the populist elements of it. And you can say that the Trump version of doing it 
was uh, 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 about as well thought out as the 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 guy who's trying to write his 30 page research paper the night before. But I, I don't think that it was devoid of an ideology. Well, that's, I, I that's the, was, like the, the Republic, both, both parties are fusionist parties, right? Like we've been discussing the various camps in the Democratic Party. The Republican Party's always been the same way. There's always been this alliance between like kind of the libertarian element and the social conservative element. And they come together on taxes. Yeah. Um, when the Tea Party happened, that was basically an alliance between populists and libertarians where the libertarians were supplying the rhetoric and the populists were, uh, were, were supplying just sweaty volume and blubber that they could drag around the Capitol. And now the populists have taken over. And the problem with that in the Republican Party is that populism is not a coherent ideological philosophy. It's a a gut reaction. It's an emotion. Um, And when you have the populists being the ascendant wing of the Republican Party, that means they're going by their gut. The seat of the wisdom is in the lungs. It's it's not something that has an intense ideological core. It's, It's emotive. But you were right before where the one thing that does seem to unite them and it's it's bared out in their vote counts is that if it's if the Democrats want to do it, even if it's something they might agree to, the answer is no mm. from the Republicans. It or, is always just no. a, like a oh, wait, I, I, is that all that? I mean, like we, we, we live in a very intensely polarized country. Like I I, I didn't see. see I don't buy lot. that either. You don't, I buy don't think it's polarized. Yeah, I don't numbers? think. I, just by like my own experience and I don't, I don't trust the polls like you do. I, I never I think, have. I think Jen, Jen, I think you're right. I think that the, the country's not polarized. I think the media class and politics are polarized. The average American, yeah. according okay, to data. Sure, sure. No, I'm I, like, I, I, uh, yes, I, I'm not here to take the soul. The, the, the people the, the, we the, yell the, out on the, Twitter the, are polarized. Yeah. I think we have a, a very, very, very politicized political world right now. And should you find purpose and meaning in playing and interacting with the political game, then you are not in a, in, in a realm where you want to help your enemy. You feel that even if it's, you know, a, a saying something that might even be nuanced on Twitter is on some fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, putting an obstacle between you or the world and the political goals that you have. I do think and that this there is, is a tribalism. This is exactly why I say that the American people are not as divided as we're told, because all of us are sick of that shit. Yeah. That one party is are pretending we? that the other party is the enemy. Yeah. Okay, Justin, this is where you and I are a little different. Go ahead. We're like, you love the politics. Like you're into the politics and like the, the personalities and all of that. I'm into the governing. Yes. And I think a lot of Americans want the governing. They want the provisions that will help them and they don't give a damn about the politics. And so the idea that any party is looking at the other party and being like, you are my enemy and elections are all that matter. And like, we're we're getting nothing done. It doesn't matter which party I am talking to. If like, if I'm talking like my family is a bunch of Republicans, we all agree that the way this is being done and the way that the politics is like, you are my enemy. We are against you. Elections matter more than governing. Americans are sick of it. And it doesn't matter who I talk to. When I, am, I sit I'm down and Jen. have conversations, she, we're all sick of it. Jen, Jen is the mouthpiece for the exhausted majority, which comprises about 80% of the U.S. electorate. There's 20% remaining of mouth-breathing shrill morons on either end of the political spectrum that want to fight over our corpses to see who wins the tug-of-war fight. Most Americans, I think, are just as Jen describes, are, are then, somewhere in the middle with more nuanced views and some sort of ego divorced from politics because they have actual cohesive lives. So where does it come from then? Because it's certainly what we get served. And if you're saying that Americans really don't want it and we're all just choking it down for whatever reason, then where does it come from? 
Can well, I, I don't think we're choking it down. I think we're tuning it out. Okay. Just like you said, no one's talking about this, but us, That's like true. when I go out in the world and I'm hanging out at the beach and I'm seeing people I haven't seen in a long time, no one's talking about no this. One's like, like, Can you believe cinema? <laughs> yeah. No one gives a single shit. So it's like, we have this political class that's all talking about it because we're into it. And then we have the corporate media class that is into it because they're paid to be into it. You have to remember, where does all that campaign cash go? They're airing the ads on NBC, ABC, CNN. Like that campaign cash goes into the corporate media. That's what it's fed into. It's fed into the newspapers, local and national. Like they are beneficiaries of this system and they are participants in it. They hire people that are willing participants in it. Like there's no one on these stations that get these jobs and then go like, no, I don't want to do political debates. Like I want to actually talk about the news. Like you don't keep your job that way. You keep your job by feeding the red versus blue left versus right. And, you know, interviewing members of Congress without actually bringing up their conflicts of interest. Like it's an access thing. It's an insider bubble they have the loudest microphones because they have the access to the airwaves. The rest of us are just watching, but we're not participating but and also, we're sick of it. I guess here's my thing. Hit songs become hit songs, not because they are chosen. It's because the crowd responds. We are getting exactly the kind of political coverage that we desperately want. If this is what is being served there, everything is responsive to the audience. It is what the metrics are. You work, you worked in, 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 in the, Oh, belly, I worked in, yes. In, in, in the belly. What, of, I, what of, I call of, uncle Rupert's death star. Uh, I was an employee there. For... Smart beast, right? <laughs> yeah. You were there. Yes. If, if all of a sudden they saw that, that the demo was really, really, really responding to somebody being, uh, 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 uh you know, will you be my neighbor? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, now every, every day we have a Republican and a Democrat and they just talk about the things that they like the best. And we're going to build this bipartisanship. We're going to find the real solutions that will make America better. If that drew, it would be on Every time slot from five o'clock until 11 o'clock. That is very much true. If Rupert Murdoch could make a, a, a buck off of pragmatic moderates discussing governance, he would have. Yes, I, it's true. Can. But there's a few other things to bring up here, because uh, uh, in, in terms of why we're living in this ridiculous, like, faux dichotomy world. Yeah. Um, so one, one thing that I think is a big part of this is I think people are inherently tribalistic. I think that it's built into us and that a lot of the periods of American history we view as being nonpartisan happened explicitly because we were actively fighting Nazis or we were fighting the Soviet Union. And people had the ability to go, well, I got to hate somebody. So I guess I hate these foreigners across the ocean with their, their evil thing. You're a Democrat. That's fine. We can work. When, when we defeated everybody in America won, yeah. we went, well, I got to hate somebody. I guess I hate you, Justin. Yeah. I have to hate someone. I hate you. And then to add to that, I think the other thing that's causing it is um, the, the political system itself is one that exacerbates and rewards partisanship. Um, with the exception of a handful of states like Alaska, like I think maybe Maine now, uh, maybe Nebraska, we have first past the polls, uh, first past the plo- clo- polls, closed primaries. Where uh, I am, if I'm running as a as a moderate in Texas, uh, the whole state doesn't vote on me. I pick a party. Well, the, the Democratic Party doesn't want to elect a moderate in Texas because they know that, um, that that I'm weak sauce and that the Republicans are evil. And we need somebody to stand up to him. Well, the Republicans certainly aren't going to elect a moderate. So it ends up being that you get a very Democratic option or a very conservative option. The incumbents yeah. that are in, just as Jen pointed out, are worried about being, being primary. They're not worried about losing general elections. We don't have 
actual competitive elections most of the time. In, in, in 2020, 93% of the federal and state offices stayed in the party that they were in. We only had a 7% turnover rate. It happened to include the president, but it wasn't a very high turnover rate, right? So people are afraid of their parties. They're afraid of getting uh, of getting uh, primaried. And that means that they have to cater to the base that means they have to cater to the edges. And all of that exacerbates this phenomenon of putting up people who are artificially extreme compared to the American electorate. I agree with that. And I just want to go back really quick to like the idea that the the television is, you know, what we want. There's a lot of people that are just not tuning in at all. So it's like, yeah, the Fox News lovers might be watching that and being like, yeah, give me more. And same with MSNBC. But they're tuning into those stations because they are political debates. They're not really news. I don't know really and and I know this is like so annoying and anecdotal. I keep doing this, but like most of the people I know don't even have cable anymore. And yeah. they're certainly not turning to CNN for the news. So the only people I know that have those stations on are boomers. So it's like their, their base is literally dying out. Our generation isn't consuming information that way. So it's like, they're they're feeding their corporate media base, but I don't think I that mean, that's going to have the power twenty years from now that it has now. As soon as these people are gone, Jen, that I, are I, watching, I, it. I don't know how much time you've spent on in 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 the in the Twitch political debate space, but uh, I'm here None. to tell you that when it when, when when it comes to to the Zoomers, uh, they they think the pro- their problem with the debates on television are that they are too staid and too short. Like, like the, 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 the most popular stuff that happens politically in the place where Gen Z congregates is louder and more vitriolic and more tribalistic team. Anybody else who's not on our, our team is actively trying to do harm and violence to the good that could be in America. So it's like, yes, I agree with you. The, the, the stuff that gets on what we imagine to be mainstream political news, uh, which let's define by the major networks, uh, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, and then whatever's remaining of the newspaper royalty that now has kind of fallen on hard times. Like they are feeding their audience, but the audience that's coming up behind it, they're just finding new ways to have the same tribalism. It's it's not like there's a, a, a ton of uh, consensus builders that are finding an audience. It's it's uh, a lot. I have of to the say, it's, it's a slow burn on my end. Uh, it would, yeah. Were we going to do a whole thing where we wear lucha libre masks at one point? Like we were going to. Brian talked me out of it. Like, okay. Jen, you can you can be the deciding factor on this. So uh, Heaton and I have long had this, uh, you know, a, a four drinks in lament. <laughs> Uh, and I think we even had this uh, when we when we all saw each other in Nashville that like, you know, wouldn't life be easier if we didn't have a conscience? Yeah. Like, wouldn't life be easier <laughs> if we if we just didn't actually feel like we needed to to have moral compunction to the things that we do and feel that on some level, like at least there is a nutritional value to the stuff that we put out there. Uh, and so in, in, in a fit of rage, I had this idea that what if it was just. Heaton with a blue luchador mask and me with a red luchador mask. And the goal was specifically just to give takes so hot they were undeniable. And the win condition was that at some point we get put on television seriously in blue or red Lucha Libre masks, therefore just laying bare the absolute charade that modern punditry is. Oh my God. I'm so into it. <laughs> yes. Do this. But yeah, so, but, but our, our, our friend Brian Brushwood made the argument that like, you can't do it because even if 
it is with a wink and a nod that we don't really hold these beliefs. We are just trying. We are focusing only for for heat, for Scoville level, burn your face off heat in these takes. Not necessarily what we really believe is in our shows where we talk about what we really believe that it would erode trust in our audience. That that, that the fact uh, that, we, that, you know, that this partisan hot take lurks somewhere within with, within our souls is enough to erode the actual work that we would do. I don't agree with that. I feel like people will be in on the joke and that they'll know. And that's something, the thing. Like, I did to do like- that, you're kind of making fun of the people that do behave that way in their real lives. I yes. think that we've been on the internet enough and people know that we're pretty measured. Like we've disagreed like four times in this episode and we're mm-hmm. still like, we're friends. So I just don't think that they would buy that any of that would be real. Something I did uh, on, I, I don't usually like Twitter, but something I did about a year ago now that I really enjoyed for a day, I just went on Twitter and went, oh, I didn't think Team Stupid could be any stupider than it already is, but look at them being <laughs> stupid. Retweet if you agree Team Stupid is stupid. And like 40 people would be like, yeah. And then other people would be like, how dare you? And I just kept saying like, oh man, the bad team's even worse today. When you thought they couldn't get any worse, the bad team hit rock bottom. Retweet if you like good team. And like people would be like, you know, fuck you, buddy. Like, like we're doing great now. And I'm like, like I literally just, I'm all I'm doing is making these jokes about like how it's easy to about play you friggin' monkeys like a accordion because your goddamn amygdalas are so swollen. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and about half the people understood what I was doing, and the other half were enraged. It was great. <laughs> That's a good troll. Oh, I don't know, man. Justin. I hope you're wrong. You're probably right. Like. I tend to be like, yeah, it's all going to be okay. We all agree. Like someday we'll have a good government and I've been proven wrong the whole time. So I hope you're wrong, but um, yeah, we might just be more and more tribal and we're fucked. I I, I do believe that we, I don't know at what level we approach critical mass because I do think that the one thing that you were absolutely right on is that while the audience is more passionate and more tribal the largest share of the audience of people who really, really, really care about politics by some instances are shrinking. Now, whether or not when Donald Trump announces that he is going to run again, it immediately balloons back to where it was before remains to be seen. But that at least the idea of the political junkie to many people have become so loud, so screeching and so annoying that it might be a self-selecting audience. The question is then like, does that ruin politics for anybody who's just like, God, I just don't want to be around. I mean, I, when, 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 I, when I tell people, Oh, yo, you host a podcast. What is it? It's the political orphanage. And then I go, it's a policy analysis show. I use the in, intentionally most boring wording I possibly can to describe it. Because while I like all of that, I don't want like because I can see it in their eyes where they're like politics, huh? I can bond with this guy through hate. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. So I go, yeah, it's policy analysis. Do you have any policies you'd like to discuss? Because they're like, no, I don't like reading. I just like hating and shouting. And I'm like, great. And let's talk about my other podcast. It's (laughs) sci-fi. It's funny you say that. I just ran into that the other day where someone's like, what do you do? And I told them about the podcast, told them the name. They're like, oh, it's political. I'm like, no, it's about government. Like I tune out the politics. Mm -hmm. The only reason I come on your show, Justin, is because I like you guys. But I actually (laughs) like hate talking about the personalities. I hate talking about the elections. Like I don't care. I truly don't. I want good people in government, but like 
I'm not lying when I say like my passion is what happens after people get elected, which is why I get so annoyed that I get out of a two year cycle. I get one year of governing and one year of nonsense. Like I would like to have two years of governing. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Just watching the way that people react to me saying I do a political podcast, they look almost afraid to deal with me. Like, yeah. Oh God, how obnoxious are you? What side are you on? Like what? And as soon as I explain, like, no, I don't do politics. I can physically see people relax again. Yeah. So politics has become toxic. Yeah. I think we have to differentiate, you know, we some almost, of us like to talk about policy and some of us yeah. like the horse race. Go governance is a good word. I like that you use that. I, and I have a similar thing, Jen, when I like, when I, pe when, when people go the political orphanage, what is it? And I'll say it's policy or I'll say, uh, I, I'm exploring ideas in politics. I hate the red team versus blue team thing. I'm doing it as an independent. And I can see them no, like to date, every person I've ever said that to becomes more comfortable around me because they're assuming up until I say that, that I'm about to draw a line in the sand and go, are you a communist or a fascist? Which <laughs> yeah, one are yeah. you? Because then we, this will determine the outcome of our friendship. But then when I'm like, yeah, I, I hate the Rock'em Sock'em Robots thing. I created this podcast to cater to people that hate the Rock'em Sock'em Robots thing. People tend to like the idea of it. Yeah. But at the same time, there's also value in the stuff that like Justin does to explain sure. like, listen, this is how it should be, but this is how it is. Well, whether you like it or not, like you're forcing me to pay attention to politics and I know it's good for me, but it's, well, I mean, like either there's a know, difference. At the end of the day, you have to win to be in the game. Right. So it's like, yeah. you know, that's, that is the, the, uh, uh, the ugly process by which we choose our leaders is by, by, by voting. And that is more simple than just, uh, make the right argument, meritocracy, good guys win, bad guys lose stuff. Like there's a lot yeah. that goes into it. I do think, and, and yes, that is fascinating to me, but I don't think we're even really talking about politics. The funny thing is that like we can we can lump that in with like, oh, it's the horse race. Oh, it's that. But it's not really because the most annoying thing that people find is the idea that if you are on one side of the aisle, you are not just wrong. You are inhumane. Mm. You are not just a, a, a person for whom I disagree with. You are a person that is ruining society. Yeah, you, you, you are not an error. You are in sin. You have you yes. have morally chosen to be a reprobate and to hurt people. And that is your guiding compass. Therefore, I am also exempt from the normal rules of civility and humanity because you were a subhuman. And, and that yeah. is something that like, yes, that plays into an election. But that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not Glenn Youngkin is down five or eight points in Virginia, which is what I'm looking at. I'm, I'm like, oh, I, I wonder whether or not I'm going to be able to correctly guess this gubernatorial race by the time that it finally happens. There's no element of that that is inherently about like, oh, well, we need to understand how much Terry McAuliffe's uh, base thinks that anybody who votes for Glenn Youngkin is a chud and should be shunned from the village. So we might uh, eliminate them from the breeding pool, which is kind of where we are, where we are right now in terms of what I think we're all identifying as the toxic elements of this. I don't even really think it's about elections. It's about identity. And, and that's why I always wind up going back beyond where we are now to say, like, I think this is largely because we don't have a monoculture anymore. This is like politics is one of the few things that we all care about. You know, to, to piggyback that, something that I, I think, and I'm saying this, I think I mentioned on your show before, Justin, I apologize if, if I'm retreading old water. Um, as a secular person who's not religious and doesn't think there's an afterlife, 
Yeah. Um, I think that most people have a religious personality, which is to say that they are inclined towards a schema that provides order and meaning to the world and that also has a group element to it. And I think that as uh, traditional religion has declined in veracity and in number in the United States, people have not actually quit being religious. They've simply become partisan. They've simply taken that energy and onus that they would normally put into being religious. And now they're a super Democrat or a super Republican. And I think that accounts for a lot of the rancor we have. Yeah. The way I get emails about people who believe in the free market, I'm like, this is not, this isn't an economics debate. This is something, this is a belief system. Mm. I think you're absolutely right. Um, yeah. And the way people believe that they are Republicans, I am a Democrat. Right. Like well, they, that, like, they make it their identity. And, and, and how, like, if you tether your ego and your sense of identity to a political party, how are you ever going to even approach objective, objectively looking at a policy? Like it, like I, I have plenty of inertia and baggage on my end because I've been doing this so long. It's not as if I'm approaching any situation carte blanche ever. I, I clearly have biases, um, but I try not to tether my ego to the the identity of a particular party um, in large part because I think it makes you stupid. I, I don't like I, I don't think you can um, have a plastic, agile mind and also root yourself to my identity is this political party. I, I think it, it tethers you down. I agree. I'm glad we've alienated most of the audience at this point. You know, so if you're, if you're a Democrat, screw you. If you're a Republican, you're even worse. Uh, well, it's not but if, that. But if, I'm it's joking, like, I'm joking, I'm joking, okay, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. No, 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 I, 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 I agree. I mean, I, I look, it's it's the reason why I, I, I obviously agree wholeheartedly. I think I think it is the one common core that binds the three of us is that like we we kind of all know that the more you look at this stuff, the more complicated it becomes, yeah. not the least complicated it becomes. Yeah. And if you are constantly pushed into a box where a, you know, you are, uh, uh, you know, you believe that anybody who comes pre-stamped with whatever brand, anybody who gets the Pepsi seal of approval is the best thing that you can, that you can hope for, or even worse, you get pushed into a situation where we need to, actually indulge in the charade that these people are actually great or awesome or, or celebrities or role models. Like that's, that's really when you can get into, in, into trouble because uh, yeah. it, I, you know, I presume some of them may be good people, but, I, <laughs> I, but if they are, it would, it's, I'm sure it's nice for them. Like I, I don't count on it. I would much rather uh, uh, in my heart of hearts be electing, effective politicians like uh, from for from your point of view jen i would be looking at politically like do what i say you're a tool for me to get a thing that i want if you don't do it I, i'm going to assume that well, you are a that's bad interesting. tool so, so, and you, so Justin, you, you look at uh, mm -hmm. public servants and politicians more as bureaucrats and functionaries than as chaplains and spirit animals for your identity <laughs> oh that's weird yeah 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 it turns out um how, how will you live vicariously through bumper stickers on your car? Well, to let everybody know how to, what a great person you are. I see them as my employees. Yeah, I really do. And if they do a shitty job, like you lose your job, but I wish you well. This is yeah. uh, this is one of the reasons that I think the British are brilliant having a monarch, a powerless monarch, I should add, <laughs> a powerless monarch, be, 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 because there is this dumbass monkey part of our brains that wants to have like I don't know an alpha male or a tribal head or something that we lay at the feet of that seems to be baked into dumb human beings and uh, countries that have figured out how to separate power from reverence as the United Kingdom has done 
can look at their prime minister a lot more like what you're describing as a functionary to kick around. When I, I'm in Britain a lot, I don't find that the British like lionize and worship the prime minister. They constantly make fun of the prime minister, even if they voted for him or her. Um, but they reserve that for the queen who wears a flower pot on her head and is this very nice Betty White character. Uh, and like, that's fine because she doesn't actually have any power. So like, great, like, like put it where it can't hurt anybody. Mm, until that villainous suits actress ruined everything. Uh, uh, all right. I feel like that's, that, that is, that is a great place to wrap up. Uh, Jen, what are you, uh, what, what are you working on? Uh oh, cut out. I'm working on not laughing at Queen Elizabeth wearing a flower pot on her head. <laughs> <laughs> that image was just like perfect. Um, what do I do for a living? I host Congressional Dish. Yeah. And um, I'm going to explain why I said, even on this podcast, that um, the infrastructure bill is keeping us on fossil fuels. I need to back up that claim. So I'm going to be reading the relevant portions of that bill and explaining why that is my take in detail. And this is, so this that's is what's this coming is up Biff, next week. Bib bipartisan. Biff. Yeah. Yes. The douchey corporate <laughs> bill. That apparently, like, that's the other thing, too. This whole idea that Mansion and Cinema want this bill so badly that they'll negotiate. Like, I don't buy that either. I don't think they care. So, um, well, Joe clearly yeah. is so I'm just watching out for fossil more fuels in, in his state. That's absolutely true. He's like that. That was in the memo well, that he coal, sent to right. Yeah, he's yeah, he's cold. He wants yeah. to make sure. I mean, Jen would know better than me, but he he wants to make sure that in his phrase, we're doing innovation rather than elimination. And that we don't remove fossil fuel subsidies if we're at the same time giving out tax credits to wind and solar. And that mm -hmm. uh, we fo if we're if we're worried about the environment, let's focus on carbon se uh, sequestration more than it is. But that's but that's but 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 which is in the bill. But yeah, but yeah, but that's that that's already the negotiated bill. Mm -hmm. This this is this is the one that's yeah. sitting in the house right now, right? That you're talking about. Yeah. So I want to talk about the one that has the best chance of becoming law because, and that's the Biff. Um, there's no point in talking about the details of a bill. They're still writing behind closed doors. So reconciliation yeah. I'm waiting on, but I think that, um, there's enough in, there's enough interest in infrastructure right now. And I just kind of want to show like, cause a lot of people are like, well, if we don't get reconciliation, then we won't get this great infrastructure bill either. And it's like, I don't, I don't love this infrastructure bill. We're making investments that are going to direct how we build out our infrastructure for the next at least five years because the highway authorization is attached to it. Um, I want those investments to be smart investments. And just based on what I've seen so far, like I'm just, I'm not feeling it. And I feel like if I'm going to express that opinion, I should back it up with what I'm talking about with facts. And so that's what my next episode is going to be. Mm, facts. Interesting. Heaton, what are you working on? Uh, so this week, I'm interviewing George Will. Uh, he's coming back on the program. He's a personal hero of mine for anybody mm -hmm. that is... Uh, just in time for baseball playoffs. Just in time for baseball playoffs. Uh, <laughs> I am noticeably uncomfortable while talking to him because I'm very intimidated by him, even though I've met him a couple times now. Yeah. Uh, but for anybody unfamiliar with George Will that's listening to the program, if at any point... Um, uh, the, the talk of crazy Republicans resonated with you and you want a glimpse of an alternate universe where an erudite, scholastic, deep thinker represents the Republican Party, that would be George Will, who's on my program. You can catch this glimpse of what it would look like if there were sane, deep thinkers in, in that wing politically, ideologically, although I think he's now an independent, having been um, self-jettisoned from the party in the wake of Trump. Uh, and then the following week, I think I'm going to do, it'll probably be next, uh, the week after, uh, I've been wanting to do a, like a special on homelessness for a while. 
Yeah. Uh, I've, I've done some interviews on that. Um, I'm currently, I, I really, so, so here in Austin where I'm right now, I've previously gone and interviewed people at uh, community first, which is an amazing charity uh, that I think is a really good scalable model or at least replicable model to deal with homelessness. Um, most of the people I've spoken to have been uh, fairly, uh, fairly skeptical of the public or the governmental ability to solve homelessness. Um, because I don't, I, this is not an issue that I wish to be an ideologue on. I really want to be practical on this. I'm in the process of trying to find, um, some social workers I can talk to, to be like, yeah. Hey, what do you do? Like what, what government things should we be doing? And that kind of thing. Uh, and then I might, um, I might also, uh, interview a, a homeless guy or a previously homeless guy, but I, but I'm working out the details on that because the last thing I want to do is make anybody in a bad situation feel like they're an exhibit. Sure. Uh, or that they're being gawked at. Uh, but that'll probably be here in a couple of weeks and focusing on the causes of homelessness and the best solutions we can come up with. There we go. That sounds like great listening, folks. Uh, uh, oh, course. and my show's The Political Orphanage. Oh, The Political. Oh, yeah, you should probably shout <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. If, if anybody was charming at the bit to listen to me talk to George Will, that's on The Political Orphanage. <laughs> With Andrew Heaton. Uh, uh, all right. Well, uh, guys, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Uh, I can't wait until we do it again. And that'll wrap it up for us today. The Politics, Politics, Politics program has been hosted by me, Justin Robert Young of Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas, co-hosted by Jen Briney and Andrew Heaton. Uh, let's give Jen the px3guest.com slot today. Go ahead on over to px3guest.com. Let Jen Briney know that you really love what she's on the show. Always feels good to get a compliment. You can email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can tweet the program at px3tweets on Twitter, on Twitch, live stream, px3live.com. And of course, you can share this podcast with your friends, your Romans, your countrymen at px3podcast.com. You want any merch? Pretty simple, politicsmerch.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so with a one-time payment for pay at paypal.me slash payjury. Our Venmo is justin-young-20. Find out if the little dollar figure on your Venmo account is actually real money. Prove it to yourself and the universe by sending me a dollar if you like the program. Justin-Young-20. Our cash app is PX3Cash. And all physical goods, gifts, and cash can be sent to P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. But of course, the only place that you can get bonus content is our Patreon. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. $10 tier gets you name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Idris Arslani and DJ Katie Mack, Meister, Dr. G, Lord Scale, the Quince Anile, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicery, 70s TV salesman or spy? D, really? And vote for Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dot com junkie, DP4 Bongo, Pop Gold, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Yield Pinball Shop, 
John. Snuffies. Off Route 44. Neil. Charles, Darren, Olin, and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Miranda, Janelle, Sheaf, Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, D Laser, just another pilot, middle aged Mike, the Jen, Will, J Pink, and Andrew. One last time. If you'd like to do that, have that in your life. Have your name read at the end of this program. Only one place to do it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Talking debt ceiling on Friday as well as a look down under. Australia, to be exact. We've got an Aussie guest on the program. It's going to be a fun time. Till then. Show pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss all Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio. Politics. Politics. Politics.